You ready for God's Word? Grab your Bible, if you would, and turn with me to John chapter 12. And uh, you can stand as we read God's Word today. We're in a series called Blessed, everybody. And um, we are just talking about the blessings of God, how God moves in our lives. We're talking about finances and the kingdom of God. And, and I'm, I'm hearing, I just want to say again, I'm proud of you. I'm hearing so many wonderful testimonies. Um, you know, our finance team was letting me know uh, the other day because I asked, I said, hey, I just want to know, you know, not, I don't need names and amounts. I don't get into all that. But, but are we seeing people do something in, as far as discipleship? See, giving's about discipleship, and I'm worried about making disciples. And they were telling me, oh, pastor, people are giving, new people are giving, people are doing different things and stepping up, and God's obviously working, and we can see it. And so if I were preaching on evangelism and you were winning people to Christ and bringing people to church, I'd brag on you. But we're preaching on kingdom finances and stewardship and what God wants for our life, and I want to brag on you because you're also following God in that. Does that make sense? And so I just want you to know as your pastor, I'm proud. And so in this series, Blessed, I'm excited about the word God has for us today. John chapter 12. And you can also, if you're a, a professional Bible user, uh, then you can turn to 1 Kings chapter 17. And uh, we'll be there later, okay? Um, but John chapter 12, this is Passion Week, six days. We'll read it in the text, but it's six days before Passover. So six days before Jesus was going to be arrested and tried and crucified. And so he has come into Jerusalem. There's been the triumphant entry into Jerusalem, people shouting Hosanna, right? And, and now he's gone to Bethany. So Bethany's just outside the city where uh, some of his uh, peeps are. Yeah, his, we don't really say that anymore, but his people, uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, most of you remember them from chapter 11 of John where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. So that probably would have been a month to two months. It's hard to place it exactly, but probably a couple months earlier. And now he's back in Jerusalem for the last time. Uh, he's going to be going to the cross. And he goes to Bethany. And this is where Mary anoints Jesus with this costly perfume. And so most of you are familiar with that. So uh, chapter 12 of John, it says, Six days before Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus, you know Martha's going to serve, everybody. Y'all remember the story, Martha, Martha. Amen. Come on, how, where, where are my Marthas at? I'm a Martha. It's hard for me to sit still. Amen. Anyways, um, Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, and everybody, where's your Mary? You know, nothing makes a Martha mad like a Mary. <laughs> Have y'all noticed that? Like, there are Marthas like me. You can't sit still. You got, like, somebody's got to do something about this. Somebody's got to, you know what? And then there are those people that seemingly are, they're completely oblivious to all the things that really need to happen, and they're just always worshiping. Oh, Jesus, just so, good. yeah, I know Jesus is good, but stuff has to happen. You know what I'm saying? So, there, where are my Marthas and where are my Marys? Don't sit by each other. All right, anyways, all right. Some are like, I married a Mary. I married a, anyways, all right. So, <laughs> Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. But Judas Iscariot one of his disciples who was about to betray him said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? 
He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to whatever was put in it. And Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. He said, for the poor you have with you always, but you don't always have me. Um, Today, I want to talk along these lines. I want to talk about the enemies of blessing. The enemies of blessing. Can we pray together? Holy Spirit, we thank you so much. Not just that we're here in your house, God, but that you're here in your house with us. And Lord, don't let us miss this moment. God, let us truly be Marys that sit at your feet and Marys who anoint your feet. God, I just pray you'd speak today in Jesus' name. Everybody said Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you so much for standing to honor the Word of God today. I want to talk today about the enemies of blessing. The enemies of blessing. Um, You need to understand something about God. God is not a taker. I think think this is fundamentally something we have to come to, to really believe about God. God is not a taker. In fact, from Genesis to Revelation, God is a giver. God is a blesser. Do do you remember um, what God tells Adam? He's like, hey, basically be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That sounds like blessing. So do him take dominion. Do you know what God, when God comes to Abraham, who's the father of our faith, do you know what he tells? He doesn't say, Abraham, I have come to take from you. No, he said, Abraham, I have come to bless you. In fact, he said, in blessing, I will bless you. You see, fundamentally, I'm afraid that sometimes if we're not careful, especially in the area of finances, we'll think God's after our money. We'll think God is a taker. Or, or we'll think the, the preacher is. But whatever it is, we get this idea that God is wanting to take from us. And, and in fact, anytime we experience loss in this life and in this world, a lot of times we look at God as though he's a taker. And I want you to know, before we get any further, this is not the message. This is the warm-up. I need you to understand God is a blesser. He says, in blessing, I will bless you. God comes to you to give. For God so loved the world that he gave. Right. So his motive is always love and his action is always giving. Do you see that? Now in this text, in John chapter 12, we see two characters that are greatly going to be contrasted here. We have um, Mary and Judas. Um, with Mary, we see a very generous heart, right? Because here comes Mary, and Mary pours this uh, a costly ointment or perfume on the feet of Jesus. And Judas points out, because he's good with math because he was stealing the money, he points out that this was worth 300 denarii. Now, denarii is plural for denarius. A denarius is a minimum wage, so it kind of changes, but it's a way to mark a minimum wage of a day's labor. So when Judas says 300 denarii in the Jewish calendar, once you take out holidays and festivals and Sabbaths and all that, you have about 300 days that they work in a year. So essentially he's saying this was a year's salary. 
Would we all agree, no matter what your salary is for the next 12 months, would we all agree that if you gave a year's salary, that would be generous? Would we not agree that that would even be extravagant? Because in the Bible, you need to understand there are three categorically when it talks about giving, there are kind of three categories. There's the tithe, which we've talked about. That's the first 10% of our increase that goes and belongs to the Lord that we bring to the house of God. It's all throughout the Bible we've been talking about. Then there are offerings, and then there are extravagant offerings. For instance, when King David gave um, to, to the building of the temple uh, in today's economic system, System, what he gave would be equivalent to over $20 billion. Would we agree that's extravagant? But you know, there's also another extravagant offering in the Bible, and that extravagant offering, in fact, Jesus marveled at the offering and said, this person has given more than anyone else. And you remember what she gave? She gave two mites because that was all she had. And that was extravagant. And so the Bible talks about the tithe, and it talks about offerings, and it talks about extravagant offerings. We have a value at our church, and that value is we are generous, right? Found people, find people, save people, serve people. Uh, you can't do life alone. Healthy things grow. We are generous. Five core values of our church, right? Do you know why we have a, a value that says we are generous? I did it to remind us that we're generous, because, I don't know about you, there are some enemies to generosity, and sometimes those enemies are me. Are you with me? And, and so, so we as a church, we're a generous church, and we have actually helped three other churches build buildings in the United States, and we've helped other churches build buildings outside of the United States. We've given millions of dollars away in the history of our church. We are generous. That is a value, and we want to be generous, and you want to be generous, and I want to be generous, but there's an enemy of generosity. There's an enemy of generosity. We need to know just as God wants us to be blessed, the enemy does not want us to be blessed. And, and in this heart, or in this text, in John chapter 12, we see Mary, who has a very generous heart, who is pouring out this extravagant gift on the feet of Jesus, which was the only anointing his body would receive for burial. And then we have Judas. And so just as we see, if you contrast the two, just as we see the generosity of Mary's heart, we actually see the selfishness of Judas's heart. So write this down. I want to give you two enemies of generosity, and I also want to tell you something really cool about God. So that's our three points today. So write this down. The first point is this, the enemy of self. Remember how I said um, there is an enemy of generosity, and sometimes the enemy is us? See, Satan doesn't want us blessed, and sometimes he even uses us against us. And I don't know if you know this or not. Let me ask you, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Has anyone ever been around like a two, a three, a four, or a five-year-old? Isn't it interesting how we have to teach them to be selfish? Like, they are naturally generous. They naturally, like, if you had a, they, the kids come up and, and they want to give their toys to all the other kids. They're like, please take all my toys. And, please, and we're like, no, 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 no. We have to teach you to be selfish. 
We don't have to teach you to share, but we really have to teach you to be selfish. Isn't that interesting? Of course, obviously, obviously that's not true, is it? They know how to be selfish. They will be selfish with things they haven't touched in a year. They will be selfish with things they don't even like. We have to teach them to share. It's not nice to be selfish. Let's learn to share, little Johnny. Let's let them play with it for a minute, little Susie. Do you know what I know that, that you know that we should say? We are born selfish. Is that true? Is that true? I mean, it's true of all of us. I wish it wasn't true of me. I wish it wasn't true of you, but it's true of all of us. We're born, we're born selfish. Um, and we have to listen to this. Think about this. So we have to be born again generous. See, Satan has a selfish heart. S.S. Satan selfish. God has a generous heart. G.G. God generous. The Bible says that until we're born again, we're under the father of this world, the father of lies. John 8, Jesus says, you're of your father, the devil. So essentially, we have been raised by a surrogate father who has taught us to be selfish because he is selfish. And when we're born again, according to John chapter 1, verse 3, we become children of God and we get a new father who, who is our maker and our creator, who is the real father, and he is generous, and then he has to teach us to become generous. Are you with me? But, but listen to me. When it comes to generosity, to giving and all that, listen, you know what we're all going to fight, Pastor Marty included? We're going to fight ourselves. Right? We're going to fight ourselves. We're going to fight being selfish because that's just something, honestly, that, that, we, that we all have to deal with. Now, how, how do we deal with that? Well, number one, we have to be honest. See, it feels good sometimes just to say, you know what? Left to myself, I can be very selfish. Do you know why that feels good? Because it's honest. See, do you know the problem with Judas? He wasn't honest. Do you know what selfish does? Look at what Judas does. Here's what a selfish heart does. You know what a selfish heart does? They put the focus on others so that they don't ever have to look at themselves. Look at what Judas does. She, Mary, anoints Jesus, brings this extravagant offering, and he points and says, that should have been given to the poor. So immediately, this is what a selfish heart does. It becomes critical and it compares. Now let me, let me help you with what that sounds like. Number one, it sounds just like what Judas said. That should have been sold and given to the poor. In other words, I don't care about the poor really, but I'm making the case here that that was the wrong thing to do. Have you ever been around somebody and said, well, you know what, if I had what they had, I would give more. If I had what they had, I would give to me. Because I've heard people say this, hello. I've heard it's very quiet in this Catholic church. I have heard people, I have heard people say, well, if I had what they had, I would give to me. I would help me out. You know what? That sounds like socialism. And then we say things, well, if I had what they had, I would give more. See, there's the comparison. So there's the criticism, and there's the comparison. Well, I'd give more if I... No, let me help you with something. No, you wouldn't. 
if you're not giving now, it wouldn't matter how much money you had, you wouldn't give. Because giving is not a money problem, it's a heart problem. Like one of my favorite things, well, pastor, you know, pray for me because if I, if I get this raise, I'm really going to start giving. And I'm like, I'll be glad to pray for you. I don't mind doing that. But you're not, don't, let's not lie, you know, let's not lie to ourselves. If you're not, get, listen, if you can't tithe on a dime, you can't tithe on $10,000. Does that make sense? And so we have to be honest, and Judas wasn't honest, and then we have to surrender, and we have to surrender our hearts to the Lord. Remember, remember, you know, this whole series, some people have caught on to it because they're like, Pastor, this is crazy. I was telling uh, somebody this week, I said, it was talking about what I was preaching on, and I said, I had several people tell me, Pastor, this is, the best, this is the best series you've ever done. And I'm like, really? Because it's on finances, and usually people hide and stay home when you talk about finances. You know what I'm saying? Like, dear God, you know? But what I realized and what this person, the comment they made, helped me realize is the, the series is all about the heart. What you see in John chapter 12 is a generous heart and you see a selfish heart. And what exposes the generous and the selfish heart is giving. If you want to find out what's going on in your heart, wait till someone asks you to give. If you want to find out where your heart is with the Lord, wait till someone talks about the tithe. Ooh, it's so quiet in this church, <laughs> right? Isn't it true? Like, listen, e even in Pastor Marty's world, now I always give, I've always given more than 10% of my income to the Lord. I've given extravagant offerings, which I would also call painful offerings, um, right? I've always done that. But even still, even still, many times I think, boy, my heart's so in love with Jesus. And then God's like, can you give me this? And I'm like, oh, Lord. Is there anything else you'd like? You know, like, can I put some more time in prayer? I'll pray for missionaries more, Lord. You know what I'm saying? Let me, let me work it off for you, Jesus. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so it's something we deal with. But what exposes the heart, the generous heart, the selfish heart, what exposes it is what? Money. It's giving. And God, listen to me, God is not after your money and neither is Pathway Church. But God is after your heart and we want God to have your heart. When we give God our money where your treasure is, there your heart will be. That's what Jesus said. So my heart follows my treasure. My treasure doesn't follow my heart. So when I put my treasure in God's kingdom, my heart goes into God's kingdom. Do you see that? That's why we talk about this. So we have to be honest. We have to surrender. We have to give the tithe. We have to give offerings. We have to be open to being obedient to the Lord. Now, look at this. Look at this. This is, this is wild to me. Because we know from just reading what John said that Judas was stealing money out of the bag. Right? Isn't that crazy? And um, I got a question then. Who gave Judas the bag? Who gave Jesus, Judas the bag, everybody? One person said, well, well, Jesus didn't know Judas was stealing all the money. I'm like, have you read John chapter 6? Because this is probably a year or two earlier in John chapter 6. Jesus says, um, have I not chosen 12 and one of you is a devil? And then John narrates and says he said this because he was talking about Judas Iscariot who was stealing the money. Right? Are you with me? 
So Jesus knew, but Jesus gave Judas the bag. Isn't that interesting? Why did Jesus give Judas the bag? Do you think he gave him the bag so he would fail? No. He gave him the bag because he wanted to redeem him. And to redeem somebody, you got to get their heart. And money always exposes the heart. Are you with me? Now I'm going to go a step farther. You ready? Now didn't we say last week that none of us would consider leaving here today and going by one of the offering boxes in the back where people have given their offering to the Lord and taking money out and using it for whatever we wanted? Didn't we say none of us would just, if you're like, I don't know, I'm kind of thinking about it. No, no, no. <laughs> the right answer is yes, that's true. None of us, none of us, pastor, none of us would do that. Okay, let me, <laughs> open book test, okay? <laughs> no, it's early. Um, but then, didn't we say because the tithe, God emphatically says the tithe is mine. We talked about the firstborn and the firstfruits and the tithe. And he says the tithe is mine. And didn't we say then it would fundamentally wouldn't it be the same thing, either going to the offering box and taking his money out and put it into our account or leaving money that is his explicitly. It's in our account, but we leave it there. Didn't we say fundamentally that's the same thing? And it is the same thing. So I got a question. Who gave Judas the bag? Jesus. Why did he give him the bag? To redeem him. Who puts money in your account? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Who puts money in your account? Jesus. Why is that redemptive portion in there? Why is that tithe in there that the Lord says, bring to me? Not to make you fail. Not to curse you, but to redeem you. This is great preaching, by the way. I don't know if you're aware of that. I don't know, but I just want to help you out. So the first enemy, <laughs> you are awesome. The first, I love my church. The first enemy is self. The enemy is self. Write this down, second one. The enemy of fear. The enemy of fear. Look at... Um, if you will, 1 Kings chapter 17. This is where um, Elijah, has. he's on the run. He's had the, the, um, the showdown and um, he's at the brook. He's being fed by ravens. You guys remember this story? So he was at the brook. He's on the run, fed by ravens. And then the brook dries up. There's a famine. Remember, so, so if you don't remember, he prophesies a famine to King Ahab, you know, because they're not, Israel's not honoring the Lord. And then God stops the rain, turns the faucet off. And so Elijah goes into hiding, and God tells him to go to this place uh, by this brook, and he, he commands ravens to bring him meat, and then he has the, the brook to drink out of, right? And then the brook dries up because it's a famine, right? There's no rain. Are you with me? So then God says, go to Zarephath to a widow, and I'll have her take care of you. So I want to, I'm going to read a good portion, but I want to show you something. It won't take long to show you, but i got to read the scripture. It says, then the word of the Lord came to him, arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I've commanded a widow there to feed you. 
So he arose and went to Zarephath, and he came to the gate of the city. Behold, a a widow was there gathering sticks, and he called her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And she was going to bring it. And he called and said to her, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And, And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks so that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Don't fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour will not be spent. The jug of oil will not be empty until the day the Lord sends rain upon the earth. It's an incredible story, isn't it? Did you catch the word first in there? Right? So, so here he comes. The book dried up. God said, go to this widow at Zarephath. Right? And he goes to this widow, and she's out gathering up sticks. And what we just learned, she had a little flour and a little oil, just enough to make a little cake. One version says cake. I like cake. I mean, bread's good. Amen? Bread's, I mean, bread's biblical. Jesus is the bread of life. All these people cutting carbs. You're not, you're not living scripturally. Uh-uh. Your keto self's going to burn in hell or something like that. Like, you got to, listen, you got to get the carbs. Jesus is the bread of life, okay? Listen to me, all right? That's what you need. All right. So anyways, he's like, I mean, I'm just saying. So here he comes. And he's like, she's like, I'm gathering sticks. I'm going to make one little cake, one little piece, a loaf of bread. And we're going to eat it and die because it's all we have. And there's a famine. We don't have any money. We're, we're done. And Elijah says, but make me one first. I feel like she probably said, you probably weren't paying attention. <laughs> because I said, I have enough flour and enough oil for one cake or one loaf of bread here. I'm going to make it, we're going to eat, we're going to die. And he's like, but make me one first. This is exactly what God said. Amen. Give me the... If you give me the first, I'll redeem the rest. Do you see that? And so we said the first is the tithe. The first belongs to the Lord. Why can Elijah ask for the first? Because it belongs to God. Are you with me? Are you tracking? But what was it when he asked for the first, what was the first thing that she felt? Fear. Because he said, don't be afraid. I'm telling you right now, and we all know it's true. When you hear a message about the tithe or, or extravagant offerings or giving, the first emotion you feel typically is fear right typically it's fear I I wish it weren't fear but but these two enemies are always at work I've found listen every time the Lord asks me to give now the tithe for me has always been very easy I started tithing when I was I mean my first job as a teenager um, because I understood it I wanted to honor the Lord. Now, to be honest, I had to get my mind in the right place because back then I tithed under fear, and it was the fear that God's going to take everything. So it's kind of like paying off the mafia. <laughs> Are you with me? And like, you know, like I, even when I wasn't living for the Lord, I tithed because I'm like, God, just leave me alone. Don't take my stuff. You understand what I'm saying? 
So that was bad theology. That was wrong. But because I've always, and the Lord had to correct that and he had to teach me. I'll share a couple stories here in a minute about how the Lord corrected that and how the Lord taught me. But I want you to know it's always been easy for me to tithe. But there's been times the Lord's asked me to clean out savings accounts and give everything that I had. And, and every time I deal with, but what if I want something? Selfishness. And Lord, that's really scary. It's something I deal with every time. And this is, listen, this is something we're going to deal with. But if you can normalize, so two things, if you want to deal with fear, the first thing you have to do is say it's normal to feel afraid when we're trusting the Lord. And you can have faith and fear at the same time. A lot of times people don't understand that, and I don't have time to teach it. But if you go and look at the woman who touched the hem of his garment, she was operating in faith while afraid. And so you can, and this woman, by the way, does the same thing. This widow at Zarephath does the same thing. She is afraid, it's obvious, but she chooses to operate in faith. Are you with me? Listen to me. The only way to conquer fear, I was thinking about this um, with what, uh, I, you know, what Jan and I were, were giving uh, for, the, uh, for the, this phase of construction. And I was thinking about it all the same again because, you know, you go and you, you give and like the economy and the Lord speaks to your amount, speaks to you amount. And, and even still, I'm like, well, Lord, that's, you know, that's scary. I might need that. What if something happens? And this is what I thought from the Lord. This is what I thought. It doesn't matter because he's always taken care of me. I've always had what I needed. I've gone through difficulty. There's been lean times. There's been times of plenty. But I just thought, and so here's what I want you to understand. The way that I deal with fear now is I've got a track record of God always taking care of me. I have a testimony. And the only way to get a testimony is to test him. Right? Remember Malachi 3? Test me with this, says the Lord, that I'll not open the windows of heaven and pour out blessing. Bring me the tithe. Test me with this. Well, so many times we want a testimony, but we don't want to test the Lord in, in what he says. And so to me, fear is going to happen. It's going to be there. I mean, that's a human emotion, especially in the world in which we live. There's something new to be afraid of about every three seconds. Right? But the only way to overcome that fear is to test God and prove him. The only way to overcome fear is to test God and prove it. Um, I got a question for you because I like asking questions. Why didn't God send Elijah to a rich person? Did you ever think about that? Did you think maybe the widow thought about that? Some of you have thought about that. Because we said, hey, we want you to pray, we want you to give. And you said, that's for the rich people. You see, the mistake we make in this text is we think God sent Elijah to the widow to provide for Elijah. God sent Elijah to the widow to provide for the widow. Are you with me? Are you tracking See, we make the mistake of thinking the tithe is how God provides for the church. No, the tithe is how God provides for you. It's what God does. I, I remember when we started the church, and, and I'll just share a, a story. It's kind of a good story. It's like 12 stories in one. But anyways, 
Um, I'd always worked in ministry, I'd done missions work, I'd worked in business, and then we started the church, and I found myself in this place where I was really gainfully unemployed. I was a full-time pastor, but the church couldn't pay me a salary at all. And so, uh, but I felt like the Lord wanted me to be a full-time pastor, even though the church could not actually pay me anything. Does that make sense? And, um, <clears throat> and I wrestled with that. And I even made a plan. I actually put in an online application uh, to FedEx where I was going to work at FedEx all night and pastor during the day. Because this is what I told the Lord. I have to have a paycheck. Right? It, it makes sense, doesn't it, that you have to have an income. I mean, you know, it, without one, it, things are going to get sketchy. You know what I'm saying? And I remember talking with the Lord because the Lord said, I, I didn't authorize that. You can't do that. And I, I remember I was, I was scared because, you know, you have family, you have kids, all this. And I don't have an income. I don't have a paycheck. And I'm pastoring. And I was talking with the Lord. And the Lord said, I never forget, the Lord said this. He said, your problem is you think a paycheck is your provider. Because I was telling him I have a problem because I have a problem. I don't have a paycheck. He said, your problem is you think a paycheck is your provider. I thought I was. See, when you deal with fear, ask yourself this question. Who's a better provider for me, me or God? Right? Here's the thing. I have so many testimonies from that period of time. I'll give you like three really fast, but I have so many. I would never want to go back to not having an income. But you can't tell me God doesn't provide because I've got a testimony because I tested him. I remember one time, and this one's kind of, uh, well, I'll give you the big ones, and then the one that to me was just crazy meaningful. But I remember sitting in my office uh, studying, and a man who did not go to our church walked in and said, you know, Pastor, I wanted to come by. I felt like the Lord sent me by. I said, sure, what's going on? And he said, well, the, the Holy Spirit told me to come by and give you this. He did not go to our church. He handed me a check for $5,000. He said, this is not for the church. This is personally for you, and I don't know why, but here it is. And I said, I know why, because I need to make a house payment. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Then I remember there's a new family to our church. They own businesses. They did not know that anything about the, the governing of the church, the finances of the church. They didn't know that I was uh, unemployed without a, or, or employed without a salary, I guess would be the way it, it was. And uh, they went to one of our elders, and they said, we, we don't know really anything about this, but the Holy Spirit won't leave us alone. And uh, we have this offering. It's a check that we want to give specifically and personally to the pastor. Um, and we just want to leave it with you because he's one of the elders. And, uh, and so he said, sure, I'll take care of it. And it was a check for $10,000. See, everybody wants a check for $10,000, but nobody wants to test the Lord. Let me tell you one of the coolest ones, and then I got to go on. The coolest ones, I, was, uh, I got invited to play golf. It was in a benefit tournament. Someone else had paid for the team, so I was getting to go play golf. It wasn't going to cost me anything, but I didn't have golf shoes. All right, my golf shoes were spent, way past spent. <clears throat> now, you can play golf without golf shoes, but I'm, I like golf, and I've always had golf shoes. And I never forget, I was in academy uh, getting something for one of the kids, <clears throat> And uh, by the way, when, you're, when you don't have income, golf shoes are not in the budget, right? And, uh, and so I just happened to peruse the aisle where the golf shoes were, 
And, um, and I saw a pair, and I'm like, oh, man, it'd be so cool to have those golf shoes, you know, blah, 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 blah. And the Holy Spirit, no lie, the Holy Spirit said, buy them. And I said, I don't know who you are <laughs> because I don't have any money for golf shoes. And God literally said this. He said, I want you to buy the shoes. Now, I, listen, women, listen. <laughs> don't, work, don't try this with your husband, okay? Don't come home like this afternoon and be like, honey, the Lord told me to buy all this stuff. Like, they say all week long, Amazon's showing up at your house. You know what I'm saying? The Lord told me, just like pastor, I needed a new pair of shoes. Listen, you better settle down. Anyways. And I argued and argued and argued, and finally it wouldn't leave me alone. And now the Lord's never told me to buy a pair of shoes that I can remember since then. So this is not like a normal thing. This has never happened. So women, chill out. Um, and men, don't get on Bass Pro or Cabela's and tell you, well, the Lord said I needed a new bow. No, he didn't. All right. Anyways, <clears throat> but I went ahead and I bought the shoes because I, f- I felt so strongly. I'm like, the Lord's trying to do something I don't understand. I'm going to buy the shoes. And my thought was, I'll keep the receipt. I won't wear them. I'll just bring them back. <laughs> but God's not letting me out of this store if I don't buy these shoes. I bought the shoes. I went home. And, and when I pulled in the driveway, I checked the mail. And in the mail, I'd gotten a refund I wasn't expecting for nearly $400. And the Lord said, see, I can take care of shoes too. And I said, yes, sir. <laughs> I'm telling you, the two enemies we're going to deal with is our self and our fear. But I want to show you one more thing. And that is this. I want to show you the reward of generosity. I want to show you the reward of generosity. Look at Hebrews 11 verse 6. And I'll, I'll make this fast. But Hebrews eleven six 6 says, But without faith it's impossible to please him. Look at this. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. And that he is a, that he is a rewarder. It didn't say you don't believe that he rewards. It said you have to believe he is a rewarder. The writer of Hebrews is not telling us rewarding is something God does. He's telling us that a rewarder is who God is. And that we need to understand that God stands ready as a rewarder. This, this word is an interesting word in the Greek, and I don't have time to go into it. It's like, I can't remember, seven or eight syllables. It's a very long word. It's the only time it's used in the entire Bible. Now, the word reward in your English Bible is used multiple times. But this is the only time this Greek word is used and normally the Greek word reward would mean kind of like what, what our word would mean, which is to repay what is due or to give what is due. But this word has an extra syllable in it, and that syllable is only found this one time. And when you place the extra syllable in it, it actually means to give more than what is due. In other words, it's to reward extravagantly. That's what it actually means. And so the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell you something. And he's trying to tell me something. And that is this. That God doesn't just give. God just doesn't bless. God is a rewarder. God gives extravagantly. Now listen to me. It is one thing to be blessed with finances. It is another thing to be rewarded with God. God tells Abraham when he makes a covenant with him, right after Abraham gives the tithe for the first time. By the way, Genesis 14, Abraham gives the tithe to Melchizedek, the first tithe that we see 
from Abraham, you can go back and I can show you tithing. We've talked about it in the garden. But from Abraham, the first time we see tithe, Melchizedek, the very next thing God says is he, the, he speaks to Abraham in a vision and says, I am your exceeding great reward. Can I tell you something? Oh, the reward of trusting God with my finances is that God gets my heart. But the reward of trusting God with my finances means I get his heart. I get him. And it's one thing to be blessed financially. Praise the Lord for being blessed financially. But it's another thing for being rewarded. Do you remember the story of the widow that we're talking about? See, most people think the provision... Did y'all like that dance, man? (laughs) The provision was all about the oil and the flour. But that's not where the story started, and it's not where it stopped for this widow. In verse 17, I won't read all of it, but in verse 17 it says, After this, so after the whole flour and oil and bread and miracle, after this the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill, and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. In other words, he died. Isn't that crazy? Here's God. God sends Elijah to the widow. We think it's all about flour and oil and cake. But God sent Elijah to the widow to provide for the widow. But God sent Elijah to the widow to take care of the widow. And to take care of her family. And see, the blessing that we see is oil and flour. But the reward that we see is Elijah raises her son from the dead when he falls ill. Listen to me very carefully. Listen to me very carefully. I want you to understand something about God. He's not a taker. He's a blesser. But I want you to understand he's a rewarder. And he rewards those who put their faith in him. And that reward, sure, it'd be great. Sometimes that blessing, if you will, is a job or a promotion or miraculous provision. But sometimes that reward is a blessed relationship. Sometimes that reward is a good relationship with a kid, a good relationship with a spouse. Sometimes that reward is a son or daughter coming home. Sometimes that reward is peace when everything seems out of control. We need to understand the reward is not that I get money. The reward is I get God. Let me tell you one story kind of pull this all together it's the first time I gave extravagantly I was uh, 20 years old 21 years old come out of Bible school took my first job um, was making $17,000 a year as a student pastor that was back before we actually paid pastors enough to live um, and, uh, and I was just happy to be in full time ministry even though I don't think I was making minimum wage. Anyways, but I, because, you know, they'd put you on salary and work you 100 hours a week for, you know, anyways, doesn't matter. Bottom line was, so I was looking for ways because I needed more income and I found a car that was for sale. And the long story short, I bought the car for $2,000 and a week later, I sold the car for $4,000. Well, when you make a $2,000 profit and your salary is $17,000 a year. That's like an 11 or 12% raise in one day. You understand what I'm saying? That is significant. Are, we, are you with me? 
And I was so excited. How many know, real quick, easy math, I made, my profit was $2,000. How much was my tithe? $200, the first 10%, the first $200 bills out of the, out of the 2,000 that I had belonged to the Lord. But I was so blessed and honored, and the Bible talks about a double tithe, and we won't get into that because some people straight up pass out. All right, but, but um, it is in there, a, a double tithe. Um, but I wanted to give a double tithe. And so I gave the Lord, I wrote a check to my church that I worked at, took it Sunday, and I gave $400 to the church, and I felt so good. The Lord had provided. I had been able, in one week, you know, I'd made $2,000. I was able to give $400 to the church. I had $1,600 extra. That's like a 10% raise even still. God is good. He's on the throne. The next week I'm praying. The Lord comes to me and says, Marty, I just want you to know, I mean, this is what I felt from the Lord. I just felt his pleasure. He's like, I'm proud of you. And I'm like, thank you, Lord. And then the Lord said, would you give me an offering? And I'm like, maybe. And, um, <laughs> and uh, the Lord said, Marty, I want you to give me $1,000. <clears> I said, Lord, say it again. <laughs> because I misunderstood. And the Lord said, will you give me $1,000? And I said, okay. I said, and here's what I said in my mind. I said, well, I gave 400. I'll give another 600 <laughs> Sunday. And the Lord said, that's not what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to write me a $1,000 check. I had never given $1,000 before in my life. That's one-seventeenth of my income. You understand what I'm saying? But the Lord said, I want you to give it. And I said, yes, sir. And I went and I wrote the check and I gave it. And the next week, the Lord said, I'm proud of you. And this is what he said to me. He said, I want you to know the rest of your life, you're mine and I'm yours. And I want you to know the rest of your life, whatever you put your hands on, I'll bless it. As long as you keep your heart with me, I'll bless whatever you touch. And I want you to know, during that time, I've gone through, I went through really plenteous times. And I went through times, like I said, where I didn't even have an income. But here's what I've seen since that time. God has always provided and he's always provided more than I needed. He's always taken care of me. And he's always blessed me. And I can say honestly, everything I've ever tried to do for the Lord, he somehow made it work. I want you to know this. There are enemies to blessing. But I want you to understand, but God is a rewarder. Amen. Can you give God praise? Hey, Pastor Marty here from Pathway Church. And I just want to say thank you for joining us. And I want to encourage you to get connected and stay connected. And there's several ways you can do that. Number one, you can download the Pathway app. And we are all the time offering resources and information on that app for you. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. And if you do, make sure you click the bell so that you never miss any life-giving and life-changing content as we add it to the channel. And then also... Uh, make sure you follow us on social media, on Instagram, on Facebook. Look, our hope and heart for you is that you walk in the purpose for which God made and created and redeemed you for. We love to connect people to purpose. We thank you for giving us this opportunity. And if you're ever in Longview or you are in Longview, I'd love to invite you to join us in person each weekend. Listen, I pray God's best for your life. I believe if you follow Jesus, your best is ahead.